Occasionally we find God in our fellowship with our brothers and sisters. This is exactly why we're instructed elsewhere in the book of Hebrews not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That day is drawing near. Do we really believe it? Do we act like it? Do we demonstrate that we believe in our lives that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him? And do we, in fact, have our lives changed to reflect that belief? You see, that's the nature of faith. Faith is not simply belief. The reason why we study these people who some call the heroes of the Bible, and I believe they are heroes of the Bible, Heavens, you look at the things that they did by the power of God and you can just marvel. There's also another thing that we need to note, though. These are regular people, just like you and I. They faced everyday events and everyday trials and troubles. Some of them really got themselves into trouble. We'll talk about a couple of those today. And yet God was still able to use them. They still had that element, that spark, that flame that we could call faith. And understanding that God is, that, that faith in God requires something more than just a head belief. It requires a, a willingness to acknowledge that God is sovereign, that He has called us, that we should obey Him. That in fact, if we're going to see blessing from Him, we must believe that He's a rewarder. He will reward us if we seek Him. Now I'll tell you, seeking God means something more than just saying, I believe in God. It also means going forth and doing the works that come from one that does believe in God. You remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Please go back to that, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Such a pivotal scripture here. I've oftentimes said that one of the problems in many churches is we stop reading this passage after verse 9, when in fact the entirety of the passage is verses 8, 9, and 10. And we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not based on deeds so that no one may boast. We're not saved by our good works. But we don't stop there because it says something more. For we are His workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand so we might walk in them. So we don't do good deeds to become saved. We do good deeds because we are saved. And so if we stop with verse 9, we're not getting the entirety of God's truth, are we? So we're reading about people that did the good deeds that God had prepared beforehand for them to do. Just like God has called each of us 
to do good deeds that He prepared beforehand for us to do. So let's go ahead and get started today. We'll actually be be uh, covering four different judges of Israel. I want to focus most especially on the first of them, though, Gideon, you know, the second of them. Hebrews 11.32 And what more shall I say, for time would fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. So we'll start with Barak, Judges 4 and 5. He was the general of the armies of Israel. Israel at the time was ruled and judged by a prophetess named Deborah. There was a particular place where she would sit and she would render judgment on the tribes of Israel when they came to her with their problems. She was obviously a very strong woman and one who was very wise and therefore trusted by the people of Israel to render wise judgment in their difficulties. So anyways, Barak was called to go out and fight a battle against the forces of Sisera and uh, his army from King Yaban. Uh, a Canaanite king reigning from the city of Hazor. Um, it's interesting, though. He said that he would only go if Deborah went with him. It's interesting. Deborah gave him a prophecy at that time. All right, I'll go with you. But you won't receive glory yourself, for it will be what by a woman that Sisera is dealt with, that he's put to death. So she prophesies this, and this is exactly what happens. There's a woman named Yael, who um, Sisera came to for safety after his armies had been routed. And uh, Yael uh, put him to death. And so she wound up being a part of the Song of Deborah after that. In Judges 5.2, we read something from that song, which I think is particularly critical for us to understand why this era of Israel's history, known as the time of the judges, was fraught with such problems, why the people of Israel had such problems in those days. We read, when leaders take the lead in Israel... When people freely offer themselves, bless Israel. Those are the beginning words to Deborah's song. Now let's unpack that just a little bit. When leaders actually take the lead in Israel, one of the problems in so much of the congregation of God's people in the West is the leaders in those congregations are not taking the lead. And oftentimes the people who are taking the lead are people who are not well suited to be doing the work to start with. They're looking for power. They're looking for prestige. They're looking to be known. Some of them are looking for money, which is an even bigger problem. You read in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about the qualities 
that should be looked for in a leader. And when you find someone with those qualities, those are the ones that you're really desiring to have rise to the top because they reflect godliness. And godliness is much more than just following a written code. It's also doing the right thing in one's heart just because it's right regardless of what's written, thus demonstrating the presence of God in that person's heart. Paul speaks about people like this, who do the law not because they've read the law or they know the law well, but they do it. Why? Because it's the right thing. They love their neighbor as themselves. Why? Not because it's written, but because it's the right thing. They take care of the poor. They take care of the widow. They take care of the orphan. They take care of the stranger in their midst. Why? Because it's written? No, but because it's the right thing to do. These are the people that you really want to see rising to leadership. But so often it's those people who do not rise to leadership. And even when they're given the opportunity, they're afraid to because they say, I'm not worthy. Well, no. None of us is. Moses said this. God really had to convince Moses, right? And Moses wasn't the only one. There were others in Scripture also. But when the leaders of Israel arise and they take leadership in a proper way, leading the people in the direction of God, ministering in the name of God, and seeing the nation move towards God, that's what you want. But then you want all of the people because it takes the entire body. It doesn't just take the leaders of a congregation. It takes the entire body working together for that congregation to accomplish what God would have them to do. I was asked once, what is it that you would want as a pastor, as a Messianic rabbi? What would you want? And I said, what I'd want is to be the leader of a congregation full of ministers. where the whole congregation, knowing what God has called them to do, is doing the ministry that God has called them to do. Because a congregation like that, that congregation is going to change the city where they're at. Their neighborhoods. If they're blighted, they're not going to be blighted pretty soon because of those people who are doing this work that God has called them to do. We have it all all wrong when we look at the minister of the congregation as being, well, someone like me. I am a minister, but I'm only one. Every one of you should be ministers too, because God has called every one of you. There's good works that God has given every one of you that He has prepared beforehand, even before you knew the Lord. He had prepared these good works for you that you should do them in His name. Judges 21-25, which is the last verse in the book of Judges, really sums up what I just said, what I was talking about, what I was alluding to. In those days, there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
You know, that's when we get ourselves into trouble, when we only do what's right in our own eyes. Uh, Newsflash, we're not the font of all wisdom. God is. We need to follow His ways. All right. So Barak went out and he did a great thing. And he conquered this Canaanite king who was persecuting the people of Israel. Yephthah. He was the son of a prostitute. He was also a man of great valor. But he was a man who made rash vows. Despite those rash vows, God was able to use him. And he fought and subdued the Ammonites who were attacking Israel. Samson, he was a man of immense physical might, but he also possessed a terrible weakness of spirit. Let's remember who Samson was. I mean, his, his birth was miraculous. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah, we read, in Judges 13, 2 through 5, from Zorah, from a Danite clan, he was from the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and bore no children. Then the angel of Adonai, we'll study that word just a little bit later on, appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have not born children, but you will conceive and bear a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing, for behold, you will conceive and bear a son. Let no razor come upon his head, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He will begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And indeed, this is exactly what Samson's lifelong calling was, to deliver Israel from the hands of their enemies, in this case, most especially the Philistines. Enemy had a, uh, Israel had a lot of enemies, didn't they? Wow. All around them. Still kind of that way today. It's a dangerous neighborhood, I guess. And yet it's where God has placed them. How many of you know that the safest place to be is not in the place that you think is safe, but right in the center of God's will? Raise your hand if you know that. Now, God is going to test some of you on that. I will guarantee you, He will test some of you on that. Man has his ways of deciding what is safe and what isn't safe. But sometimes God's idea for us is completely different. So remember that statement, the safest place to be is right in the center of God's will. Israel does live in a dangerous neighborhood. And certainly Samson was one of the judges that he raised up to take care of that. Now it's interesting about Samson's birth. So he was going to be a Nazarite from the womb. Even before he was born, he was a Nazarite. The Nazarite vow was something that the person of Israel, a man of Israel, might take at a certain point of his life. 
And he'd go through the whole ceremony and everything that was required for it. In fact, later in Paul's life, we read about him taking a similar vow before he was arrested in Jerusalem. Well, Samson was a little bit different. He was supposed to be a Nazarite for life, which meant he wasn't supposed to drink any strong drink. He was not supposed to cut his hair. He was supposed to allow it to grow. This is why the, the this is why the uh, the story of he and Delilah takes on its meaning because he actually told her the secret to his strength. She cut his hair and he lost his strength after that. It was a supernatural strength he had because he was living and abiding by the vow of the Nazarite as God had called him to do. Now he oftentimes let his guard down. It's just that at those times, he didn't let it down completely. This was a man who had immense strength, but he was not very wise in many ways. Another event in his life, Judges 15 through 17. He struck down a thousand Philistine soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. After that, he raised up Israel. Israel threw off the Philistines for a period of time. And for 20 years, for 20 years, Samson ruled Israel. He wasn't a flash in the pan, in other words. I think a lot of people, when they read the story of, of Samson, they really don't realize how long he actually ruled in Israel. So anyways, after he foolishly allowed a faithless Delilah to know what the source of his strength was, and he lost that strength. He was made to work as a slave in the temple of the Philistine god Dagon. Talk about something that would have been the ultimate humiliation for a judge of Israel. His eyes were gouged out. He was blinded. He was made to do hard labor. During all this time, though, his hair was regrowing. And he asked God a certain point, at a certain point, he prayed to him that God would allow him his strength back to do one last great act. God heard him. He answered that prayer. Samson was put at a particular point in this temple with 3,000 of the leaders and dignitaries of the Philistines there. And he stretched his arms out and he pushed and he pulled down these two great pillars and the entire temple came falling in on all of the people there. Thus ended the life of Samson. The one I really want to spend more time on today is Gideon because frankly... I think Gideon is such a perfect example for the average man or woman of how someone grows in their faith. And so the rest of this sermon will be devoted to Gideon. In Judges 6, verses 1 and 7 through 10, we read this. Then B'nai Israel did what was evil in Adonai's eyes. So Adonai gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Wow, yet another nation that Israel was being attacked by. 
Now it came about when B'nai Israel cried out to Adonai because of Midian, that Adonai sent a prophet to B'nai Israel, and he said to them, Thus says Adonai, God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. Then I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all of your oppressors and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Then I said to you, I am Adonai your God. You are not to fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are dwelling. But you have not obeyed my voice. So when we don't obey the voice of God, we leave ourselves powerless before our enemies. Did you catch that? Repeat that after me. When we do not obey the voice of God, we leave ourselves powerless before our enemies. Let's say that again. When we do not obey the voice of God, we leave ourselves powerless before our enemies. And so obey the voice of God so that you're not powerless before your enemies. That's a very clear message here. Um, Let's go to Judges 6, please. Because there's a number of things I want us to take a good look at here. Because after all, we started off talking about faith. And I'll tell you, faith is not just something you you have naturally. Oh sure, you may have an element of faith. But faith is something you grow into. As you listen to God as you learn to hear His voice, and then you obey His voice, and then you grow a little bit in your faith. And then you hear from God again, and you obey God again, and then you grow in your faith a little bit yet again. And you do what God is calling you to do, not because everything is going well, but simply because you heard His voice and you're obeying Him. Sometimes the evil one will try to throw the proverbial monkey wrench into it and mess you up when you're obeying God. So you don't obey God just because everything's going well. You obey Him because you heard His voice. And it's the right thing to do, regardless of what is happening before you or around you. We read further in Judges 6, 11 and 12 and 15 through 16. Then the angel of Adonai came and sat under the terebinth that was at Ophrah, that belonged to Yoash the Abiezrite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of Adonai appeared to him and said to him, Adonai is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now what would you think if the angel of God told you 
I am with you, O mighty man of valor, or mighty woman of valor. I think if we were honest, a lot of us would admit that we'd probably react pretty much the way that Gideon reacted. And what was that? Then Gideon said to him, Me, my Lord? With what would I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the poorest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And you're saying, I'm a mighty man of valor? My family isn't mighty men of valor. And I'm the least of all of them. Let's face it, folks. We don't like admitting it, but it's really the truth. So often when God calls us to something, we find an excuse why He could not possibly be talking to us. But the fact of the matter is, He is talking to us. If someone is really honest about saying, I'm not worthy, I really appreciate that statement. You know, there's some who say that because they just don't want the trouble. But there's others that are very honest about it. They say they're not worth Well, they're right. None of us is. There's not a single one of us who is worthy to be serving God. We serve God because He's our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King, the Creator of all of creation. He's the one that's worthy. And it's His Ruach within us that makes us worthy to be serving Him. It doesn't come from us. It comes from Him. But yet, the fact of the matter is, He calls us, and He uses us, and He intends us to do mighty works for Him. Someone says, but I'm just a regular Joe. There's no way I can do this. And I say, well, of course not. You can't in your own power. But you can in the power of the Spirit of God. My mom said once, Johnny, I I appreciate that God has done certain things through you and in you and has shown you certain things that have proven to be true. But why is He doing any of this for you? You're just regular. Well, thanks, Mom. You really know how to build a guy up. But she was right. God uses the most common things of the world to do some of the most spectacular things. He uses the small and the lowly. I I find it instructive that Yeshua was not born into the household of a rich king living in a palace, but he was born to the poorest of the poor in a manger amongst cattle and sheep. But you see, this is the way God does things. You know what the great strength of a regular Joe is? He knows he's just a regular guy. And therefore, he's not going to be as likely to take for himself what belongs to God. When he does something marvelous through God, he's going to say, Praise God! I was found worthy to be used by God. So God took Gideon 
And he said, But Adonai said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you will strike down Midian as if it were one man. Let's talk about this angel of the Lord for a minute. There's a couple of terms you find in Scripture, Malak Adonai and Malak Elohim. It can be translated angel of God. It can also be translated messenger from God. We find that there were actually two angels of God that showed up before Abraham along with God himself. That's not the only place that we hear about this, because in Psalm 91.11, we also read, For you have made Elyon your dwelling, even Adonai who is my refuge. So no evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge over you to guard you in all your ways. It's good to have the angel of the Lord near you, isn't it? So, this Malak, he can be either an angel or a messenger from God. He can either be sent from God or he can be sent by a man. So, Malak doesn't always mean angel. It can simply mean messenger. There are some places in Scripture where it's so difficult to tell this apart from who would truly be the Lord, that in some cases people say this angel of the Lord is actually an appearance of God, pre-Yeshua, in physical form. Is it possible that this Malak Adonai that appeared to Gideon was actually God appearing in physical form? Perhaps. Because you remember when first of all, he had, he had talked about bringing uh, meat and broth and, and drink to this angel, that when he brought it out that the angel stuck his staff into the meat and the offering that had been created, and it, poof, it burned up in fire and smoke. So the fact that he actually received sacrifice from Gideon, it may be that this was something more than just an angel. But you think of it, that God Himself, whether by messenger or in person, had visited Gideon. I want you to notice the evolution of Gideon's faith growth. So in Judges 6, 12 through 14, Gideon hears God's voice and he argues with him. I'm not worthy to be doing this. Finally, he at least acquiesces to God and he seeks a sign. And once that sign was accepted, and once he saw that sign, then he believed what God had said. He responded when God proved himself. That's in Judges 6, 19 through 22. Then thirdly, he responded in obedience 
to tear down the village idols in Judges 6, 25 through 27. Now you remember what happened after that. The people of the town, they gathered around and they wanted the person who had torn down this Asherah pole and the idol that went with it to be put to death. This was Gideon. Now we hear that he was afraid to do it by day, so he did the deed by night, but he still did it. We don't read that God required it to be done by day, but I think a lot of people make that assumption. Let me ask you something. If in your place of faith, you do something that perhaps if you had greater faith, you would have done it differently. Will God still accept it at the time when you've got lesser faith? Ask yourself that question. Because we're all on this journey. We're all growing. None of us has arrived yet. Don't ever tell yourself that you have to come to a certain place of growth before God can use you. God wants to use you where you are right now. So don't wait. When God calls you, obey Him today. Not tomorrow when you think you're ready. Obey Him today when you know you're not ready. And leave it up to Him to do the work that He's going to do with you and through you to change the city where He has placed you. So after he was obedient in doing that, then God gave him yet a bigger calling. He called Gideon to lead Israel's armies against the Midianites and their allies, and he asked for a sign twice. You've heard the phrase, anyone who's been in the church any time at all, about laying a fleece before the Lord. Well, this is essentially what Gideon did. He laid a fleece out. In one case, he asked for the fleece to be dry, but the ground all around it to be soaking wet. And then the next evening, he asked for the fleece to be soaking wet, but the ground around it to be completely dry. God was willing to meet him at the point of his faith. And then Gideon responded to God by obeying him. Wow, and did he ever. He sent almost all of his soldiers away when God told him to, keeping only 300 to himself. So he obeyed God and he led Israel to a complete victory. And then after this, he judged Israel for the rest of his life. Um... Myron, would you mind going up and telling the uh, Shabbat school teachers it's time to let the kids start coming down? I want to start closing by saying this. The man or woman of faith doesn't start with great faith. 
great faith is developed over time. It's developed through our trials. It's developed when we hear God, we argue with Him, and God wrestles with us. And finally, we come to accept that indeed this is God speaking to us. And then we obey Him. And when we obey Him, we learn and we begin to grow in Him. In Luke 17.6, we read, Then Yeshua said, If you have faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In another place, He speaks of the mustard seed as being the smallest of all seeds. It's tiny. It's little bitty. But when planted in good soil and properly cared for, it grows into a very great shrub that can harbor many birds and animals underneath its leaves and branches for safety. You see, it starts small, and then in the proper soil and cared for properly, it grows. This is how our faith is. Our faith is like that mustard seed. This is where Faith develops, though. It's in the crucible of service to God. And as we serve God and we obey Him, then we will continually grow in our faith to be able to handle ever more difficult items. I would close with this then. Let God develop your faith, and you too will be mighty in the Lord. These are the type of people that God wants to see here at Remnant. People who are mighty in the Lord, not because of their natural giftings, but mighty in the Lord because they have the ability to hear God's voice and are willing to obey Him and do what He called them to do. Each of you has been called by God. And He wants you to grow into the mighty men and women of faith that He's looking for to change the city of Wichita. That the city of Wichita would truly become a city of God, full of His light. Amen. So go ahead and let the children in. Lucio. All right. Philip.